So we're starting a new series, as you can see. Uh, it's called Christmas List. And uh, it's focusing on this idea of reordering our priorities. And so through this series, what we're going to be doing is in light of the holiday season, we're going to be looking specifically at the birth of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at kind of the characters that are not as often talked about through this uh, nativity scene of Jesus. And we're going to learn a little bit more about priorities through this. Now, typically during the month of December, uh, Christian tradition usually celebrates Christmas as the birth of Jesus. But I want to be very, very clear, okay? Just because we're doing this theme and we're looking at the nativity story and looking at uh, Jesus' birth, uh, I'm not in any way trying to promote that Jesus was born on December 25th, okay? Uh, absolutely not, right? Most scholars, actually, would, would argue and say that Jesus was most likely born around the time of fall. So thinking maybe September-ish, maybe November-ish, October, uh, not November, sorry, September, October-ish. Um, because there are a few context clues that we find in the story in which Jesus was born. And of course, no one's going to know the exact date, the exact time. Uh, but we do know that the ballpark range in which Jesus, Jesus was born was most likely in the fall. Okay. Now, uh, another context clue that I kind of want to bring up just to kind of emphasize, right, that Jesus was not born December 25th uh, is because Jesus began his ministry about three and a half years after the fact he was baptized, right? We know that his ministry spans a time frame of three and a half years. And the Bible says his baptism happens around his 30th birthday, right? So if you look at Luke chapter three, you see that he was about 30 years old when he was baptized. So if you were to count three and a half years from when he died in uh, uh, 80, or 31 AD, uh, in the spring during the time of the Passover, uh, that, that festival takes us to the time uh, around fall. So, the reason why I say this, uh, and the reason why I have to exemplify or make sure you guys are aware, I'm not trying to promote that Jesus was born on December 25th, okay? Jesus was probably born at another time. Tr Christian tradition picked up on other traditions and kind of made Christmas a day of celebrating Jesus' birth. But despite that, I think what we can do is we can look at this kind of theme that Christians take and run off with, and we can learn some very important lessons during this holiday season that we can apply to the rest of our lives. Okay, um, so with that uh, out of the way and that cleared up, uh, when we approach the month of December, so immediately after Christmas or Thanksgiving vibes, or maybe even sometimes before, some of you guys are the type of people that uh, like to start playing Christmas music before uh before Thanksgiving, uh, but a lot of the times immediately after Thanksgiving, the season shifts and everyone is in kind of this Christmas season mentality, right? So when you think of Christmas uh, or the Christmas season, what are some things that kind of come to mind? What are some things that kind of pop into your head when you think of Christmas? I asked this question yesterday, but I, I want to kind of hear what everyone else has to say. What do you think of when you think of Christmas? Shopping? Uh, Snow, uh, something we don't have here. Snow, yes. Okay, <laughs> what else? Giving gifts, yes. Trees, ah, yes. Those, we have palm trees here. Okay, uh, <laughs> family, stress. Oh, interesting answer. Okay, food, lights, Christmas trees and family gatherings, reindeer. Ah, all I want for Christmas is you playing on every radio station. Ah, uh, I 
that is a, a, a wonderful <laughs> Christmas song to get the vibes going. Okay. The movie Elf? Oh, okay. Yeah. Does anyone else watch like, like Home Alone or things like that during the Christmas season? Okay. 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 I see. I see. Anything else? Speak now. Or... Okay, let's keep going. All right. So for maybe you guys, uh, for me at least, you know, when you start hearing it on the radio, I don't know if a lot of people listen to radio anymore. Every once in a while, I like to tune in. Uh, but it's Christmas music on the radio, right? Maybe for some of you guys, it's the Christmas tree. It's like setting up a Christmas tree. It's looking at other people's Christmas tree. It's driving by the mall and seeing the huge Christmas tree, right? Maybe it's looking at the pretty lights that they, they put on buildings or driving through neighborhoods and seeing all the lights on people's houses, right? Maybe it's the food or maybe it's the family gathering that you have. And this year, it'll probably be through Zoom or watching, you know, Home Alone or any other family movie that you guys watch uh, during the Christmas season. Or maybe it's about the presents. But speaking of presents, how many of you guys have ever made a Christmas list? Okay, Christmas list. Some of you guys are like, what's a Christmas list? Uh, some of you guys, maybe it's been so long that you don't even remember, okay? But basically, it's a list of things that you want, right? I remember in elementary school and maybe in junior high also, uh, for the sake of like Secret Santa that we would do at school and whatnot, uh, we would have to write lists of things that we would want. And then someone would like, you know, choose from that list and, and give it to you. But uh, typically on a Christmas list, what you would do is you would write down the things that are most wanted and desired. And usually you would write those things first because, you know, that's what you're thinking about, right? That's what comes to your mind. And you're like, oh, let me write that down, right? And so your list usually starts, typically starts with things that you really want. And then you get down to the bottom of the list and they're like things that it'd be nice to have, but it's like, you know, that wasn't the first thing that came to your mind, right? So last year, uh, I saw this very uh, funny article um, where there was this 10-year-old girl who, who wrote a Christmas list but it went like viral. Uh, and I'm going to show you why. I don't know if you guys can see this. It's probably really hard to see. Okay. Looks like a very like normal Christmas list. Like a lot of things on the list. But let me just tell you some of the things that she wrote on this. Okay. Uh, her father basically shared this picture on Instagram. Uh, and captioned the post with this. He wrote, my soon to be 10 year old daughter clearly has a false sense of the funds that we have with this Christmas list. But kudos to her for her expensive taste. Okay. If you look carefully at some of the things that she wrote, she wrote iPhone, right? iPhone 11, AirPods. Okay. MacBook Air, brand new MacBook Air, a real bunny, right? If you look down further in the list, there are things like Gucci slides, a Chanel purse, right? $4,000. She writes $4,000 on this list too. Okay. That's crazy. Okay. Has anyone written a Christmas list as extravagant as this? Okay. <laughs> Your parents probably slapped you in the back of the head if they saw a list like this, right? Okay. But anyways, uh, when we think of a Christmas list, right? Uh, when we think of what is important to us, what we think are about or what our priorities are, what are they, right? When we write our Christmas list, right? Or what our priorities are, what do we usually put on the list? During the Christmas season, uh, traditionally, uh, we remind people that we as Christians should look to Jesus as the reason for our season, right? So I want to ask you, what is your Christmas list, your list of priorities like for this season? Now, it's interesting. Uh, I think it's really interesting, actually, that, uh, that 
that uh, during this time of year, in the months of November and December, statistically, you see that people tend to give more during these last two months of the year than the rest of the year. And I think I think I saw a statistic uh, where the last three days of the years are when people give the most, right? And it's like really interesting. But it's basically this time of year when people tend to give, right? Giving becomes a priority for many people during November and December. And I would say Christmas time and the end of the year carries this theme of also thinking of others, right? Uh, when we're giving, obviously, we're thinking of other people. Uh, we like to give presents and like to give gifts. We're thinking of other people during, you know, before the end of the year. We're saying to people like, hey, like, you know, I wish the next year is filled with blessings, right? We do this kind of thing during the end of the year. And, and a lot of the times, that's the theme, right? If we were to summarize it, the theme is thinking of others, And I honestly think um, the Christmas season is unique in the sense that we find people, whether they are Christian or not, thinking more of others than themselves. That's usually the thing. Maybe other than days like Black Friday, but uh, like all the other days, like it's about this ideal of others and not me. And I think that's beautiful. I think it's great. I think it's a wonderful way uh, to live. And it just makes this holiday season so much more better. But of course, with anything that happens in season, this ideal of thinking of others or this other-centered thinking shouldn't be a seasonal thing, right? Especially for us as Christians, I think this ideal of other-centered living is a lifestyle and a priority that Jesus taught and encouraged us to live by, right? Other-centered thinking is a lifestyle and priority that Jesus taught And encouraged us to live by. And Jesus also lived by this ideal of other-centered thinking. Now today, I'm going to take a time to look at how God used the least, and I would say very unexpected people, in the story of Jesus' birth. And as a wake-up call and a reminder for us today to re-evaluate and look at our own list of priorities uh, as Christians. But more specifically, I want to look today at how God uses these characters as a way in which we can change the way we perceive others around us and others that may be different than you and I, right? So basically learning to become more other-centered than self-centered. Now, the story of Jesus's birth can be found in two of the four Gospels, right? In the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. Now, both of these accounts, both of these Gospels share a little Uh, Little differences, um, like on all the Gospels, there are slight differences in details. Uh, Both accounts of Jesus' birth highlight and present a few characters that show the importance of changing our perception of other people. So let's start with looking at Luke's account. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Let's just start with this first verse. And it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. Ah, So here is our first set of characters. So the shepherds. Now, typically, the usual version in in like Christmas like sermons and and I don't know like how many pastors you've heard talked about like the shepherds in the nativity story. Uh, But a lot of times we hear that these shepherds were like really poor people. uh, And maybe we see pictures that are like really dirty and like no one wants to talk to them because they're out in the fields middle of the night. And they're just like they look terrible. Right. And they're tending their sheep. Um, in like this like weird land, right? And the, maybe that's the picture that we have. But we, we usually imagine this scene where um, 
of these dirty shepherds and then the sudden angel appears to the poor guys uh, because, and then this is the lesson that usually pastors share is that, that God's intention was to first appear to the least of these instead of the Pharisees and the well-off and like the churchgoers, right? That God wanted to show and prove a point that he wanted to show himself and reveal himself and share the good news with those that are, uh, are the kind of outcasts of society, right? Which I think is great. Wow, that's a great story. But honestly, uh, yeah, I, w- I would teach you that, but it's uh, only partially true. And that's why I wouldn't teach you that. Okay. Um, so, uh, of course, uh, God has a heart for those that are downcast, right? God has a heart for those that are uh, considered um, the outcasts of society, those that are neglected by society. And I think by now, in all of my messages that I've shared, I've definitely emphasized this ideal of reaching out for those that are, are less than us, that are poor, the people that, that are weak, right? Because this is the heart that God, like those are the very people that God has a heart for, right? Um, yes, that's true. And I think that's very important that we remember. But these particular shepherds were actually not outcasts of society, okay? Very interestingly enough here, the shepherds here in this story, contrary to popular belief, uh, we find are actually priests, okay, who were fulfilling temple duties. And now you're like, all right, pastor, like, I've never heard that in my life, okay? Let's talk about it, okay? So there is something called the Mishnah, okay? If anyone is familiar with, like, Jewish uh, tradition and, and, and writings, the Mishnah is a Jewish document uh, that, that contains all the oral traditions, right? The traditions that they carried on from generation to generation that basically governed the Jewish people during the time of like Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay. So this is a very, oh, sorry, this side, this is a very interesting set of documents, but specifically there's one set of regulations that we find here in the Mishnah that, that says that they are not allowed to keep flocks throughout the land of Israel, except in the wilderness. So you had to be in like the vast wilderness, right? Like in the desert wilderness in order to raise flock. But the exception was this. The only flocks that were allowed to be kept were the very sheep and the livestock that was used for any temple services. Okay. So if you look at the context clues of Luke chapter three, you will find um, that the shepherds were in a field nearby the city. They were not, they were not in some kind of wilderness. They were in the fields very close by. Okay. Watching over their flocks at night. Okay. But you might be like, okay, pastor, that's a really big jump, right? How do you make that conclusion? What if they were actually like outcast a shepherd? What if they were rebel shepherds, right? What if they were, they were actually low lives. Okay. And I think you have a point, right? It, it, it does kind of seem like a jump, but they were probably in the fields, which isn't surprising. And so, yeah, they probably were dirty, right? So I'm not saying that these people were dirty, right? They could, they can be priests and they can be dirty, okay? But they're not necessarily from a poor group of people, okay? Their service was not like, you know, they weren't taking care of sheep in order to survive or because that was their occupation, so to say. Uh, but it was really for the temple, right? It was for the Pharisees. It was for the, the, the temple services that they shared uh, during the seasons, right? And, and that's what gave them status, right? Yet they were still called shepherds, right? So they were like these Pharisee shepherds or priest shepherds, okay? High class shepherds, okay? And these are the people that get hit with good news, 
Okay, let's keep reading. Okay, uh, Luke 2, verse 9. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Okay, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Uh, he is the Messiah, the Lord. This is, will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of, heavenly, of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Okay, so imagine with me this scene, okay? Imagine with me, middle of the night, all of a sudden, there's this vast light that appears and a voice rattles through the night. And it has the message, the good news that the Messiah has been born. But look at verse 16. They hurried off. Okay, they heard the news and like, hey, like, let's go, let's go, right? And let's see this Messiah. So they run off. They're in a haste. You see, these priest shepherds or these Pharisee shepherds were very well aware of the scripture. They were very well aware of what was promised in the Old Testament, in the prophet Isaiah, right? These very shepherd, priest shepherds that were watching over the flock, that would be used for their temple sacrifices, right? They're making this connection because when the Messiah comes, no longer will they need to do sacrifices, right? Because Jesus is the ultimate lamb, right? There is no purpose in them tending these sheep because the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate lamb, the lamb that had been promised is finally here. You see, I strongly believe and I I come to realize that Maybe these very people, the reason why they run off in haste, why they hurried off with excitement and joy is because of the very fact that they realized that the sheep that they were just watching now would now become unnecessary, right? They abandoned, they didn't say anything about taking care of the sheep, right? Maybe this is a little detail that I'm, I'm kind of reading into now, but where does it say like, oh, they, they took their sheep and gave it to their friends or they put them, you know, in their stable, right? No. They, they leave. They just go because they realize that there is something greater that has finally arrived. They've come to realize that the Messiah has been born. If you look at verse 20, it says, The shepherds return after seeing Jesus, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And that's so beautiful, right? They hear this beautiful news of, of this Savior being born, and they are, they're glorifying and praising God. For this experience that they had seen. Now let's continue to the book of Matthew. And let's look at Matthew chapter 2. And I found this to also be very eye opening. And we'll get back to the shepherds. And I'll kind of wrap it all up together. But look at Matthew chapter 2. You're going to find the account of the Magi. Or Magi. Right? Uh, Sometimes it's translated in your Bibles as wise men. um, Who come from the east to Jerusalem. Looking for the one who had been born the king of the Jews. Right? So they state to King Herod that they had seen a star and they wanted to go and worship him. Now, get this. The word magi, right, uh, is more related and better interpreted 
as like astrologers, or even in some translations, it uh, makes more sense to call them magicians. Now, I think it's interesting. Uh, tradition has it that there were three wise men. The Bible never says that there were three wise men. There were three gifts. And so that's where the tradition comes where, oh, there must have been three wise men because there were three gifts, right? There could have been more for all that we know. But anyway, um, it's another little tidbit that I found. Uh, uh, it's interesting because the people that came to seek Jesus, that came, that wanted to come and worship the king of the Jews, uh, were not people uh, of faith, okay? They studied the stars. They were astrologers, right? They didn't study God the creator. They studied God's creation, right? And it's very interesting. And I can only imagine that these very people, which would have been very likely, probably ran into some kind of Jewish scripture because they probably would have been left behind during the Hebrew exile. And I'm sure that they saw maybe the prophet Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. And I'm sure they saw that there would be this new king for the world and he would be born in Israel. So follow me on this, okay? These, these pagan, non-believing astrologers, come a far distance from the east to come and worship this, this king because of something they see in the stars. Even if they didn't know exactly who the king was or who he was to be, but something must have compelled them. Something in their hearts must have convicted them that they needed to go and take this journey and see this king. Okay? You see, these very people may have been seen as outsiders, to the Jewish community. But very interestingly, and I think very beautifully, God reveals the Messiah or the birth of a savior to these very people. Now, this is this is what I really want wanted to share with all of this. Get this, okay? The Gospel of Matthew, I think is so interesting. Like, okay, first of all, this story seems like okay, that's great, right? But why? Why does that matter? The Gospel of Matthew is interesting because it's the most Jewish gospel in the sense that um, it's it's so focused on Jewish tradition. It's talking about like the genealogy of Jesus and, and highlighting all these great Jewish people in their lineage. It talks over and over and over again about Old Testament analogies and Old Testament uh, uh, prophecies. Um, and, and it's an attempt for the Gospel of Matthew to illustrate that Jesus's identity was truly that of the Messiah that they had all been looking for, okay? And you also find in the Gospel of Matthew, you find a lot of Jewish traditions and customs and writings and teachings that aren't explained, right? It's just given straight up. And for us as, you know, 21st century scholars, we all have to look at that and be like, okay, well, let's look at Jewish tradition to understand this a little better, right? The audience, the intended target audience for the Gospel of Matthew was Jewish people, Okay. Now, if you follow me in like my studies and everything that I've kind of talked about, Jewish people had a hard time accepting Jesus was king, right? That Jesus was the Messiah. A lot of them struggled, right? The people that put Jesus on the cross were Jewish people that were fervent about their beliefs and who the Messiah was, right? Jesus didn't match their imagination and their description of who Messiah would be. They sent him to the cross, right? Now, imagine this, okay? You are a Jewish person who has come to realize that Jesus is king, right? Jesus is truly the Messiah, okay? And you're looking forward to that. Uh, you're looking forward to a coming Messiah, a king, uh, that 
would be this Jewish person, right? And you're thinking of this, this, this ancient old time history of we are Jewish people. So we are the chosen ones of God. Okay. And you have this pride and this, this like kind of nationalism, like, yes, I am Jewish by blood. And because of that, God has chosen me as a people, right? But as you read this story, as you look at the birth of Jesus and you discover this story, you find that the very first people that God reveals this coming of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus, is someone other than a Jew, right? It's a Gentile person, right? Someone who isn't a part of this chosen one clan, right, of people. So you're reading this story because you've accepted Jesus at this point, right? But culturally, traditionally, in your heart, deep down inside, you're still caught up with this fact that, that I am the chosen one from God. God loves me, right? I, am, I have royal bloodline as a Jewish person, okay? God loves me as a Jew, not a Gentile, right? God loves me, not other people, okay? Why? Because they don't live like us. They're not, they, they don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't hold to the rich history of our Jewish culture, But you see, this is, hopefully you guys are kind of feeling this, right? Because if you were Jewish and you read this story and you found out that the first people that Jesus or God revealed the coming of the Messiah to was somebody that was not Jewish, but Gentile, astrologers, right? Okay. This is a theme that goes throughout the gospel of Matthew, because what God is showing is that even Gentiles, even Gentile people can be a part of God's bigger picture right? God isn't just a God for the Jewish people, but God was also a God for all, right? So let's put these two things together now, okay? I want you to think about the shepherds and the magi, right? The magi. The difference between the two is that one, well, one are people that probably had Jewish background, right? They were priests, they were working in in the fields, tending the sheep that would be used for sacrifices. And then there are these pagan, non-Jewish, these Gentile, Wise men, okay? People that study the creation and not necessarily the creator, okay? But the one thing that both of these people had in common was that both the Jewish shepherds and the pagan wise men came to worship the Messiah. Now, you might be thinking, all right, pastor, like, that's great observation, right? Okay? So why does that matter? Okay? How many times do we as Christians, okay, judge a book by its cover? How many times do we look at somebody and say, oh, they're different than us. They look different than us. They smell different than us. They behave differently than us. They thought process differently than us. Okay. I mean, think about it, right? The equivalent to the shepherds would be like looking at at denominational Christians, right? Remember, like these are Pharisee shepherds, right? These are priest shepherds. And what do we say about Pharisees, right? When we look at people that are law-abiding, right? Or too liberal or too conservative, right? We look at these people and we're like, you're wrong. How can you be so legalistic? Or how can you be so so open and so, so willing to accept worldly beliefs, right? We attack Pharisees for killing Jesus. But these very shepherds that we're talking about today, these Pharisee priest shepherds saw and understood how God used them right? That they were a part of this picture where they realized that there was something greater and bigger to come, right? These very people that we would typically attack for their beliefs and the way that they present themselves, right? God allows them to be one of the first to go and rejoice and see what this good news is all about, okay? 
how often do we look at other denominations, people that worship on, on Sunday, right? And we call them out for worshiping on Sunday, or we call them out for what they eat. Or we call them out for the music that they listen to, or we call them out for the way that they live their lives, right? We call them out for the theological differences, okay? Maybe we are missing a very big picture, an important picture here. How often do we look at the people outside of our own community and we look to them as nobodies? Whether you do it consciously or unconsciously, like we look to people and we give them the dirty eye, right? We, we, we judge them. We look at them as, oh, oh, they're people of the world, right? And we're people of God, right? And, and we ignore and we avoid these very people. If you look at the wise men, that's equivalent to looking at things of the world, right? To the atheists, to the people of, of other world religions. And we think like, like, we just shut the door on these people a lot of the times. How often do we do that? How often, whether we do it knowingly or not, find ourselves in a situation where we put these walls around us and keep ourselves in a little box. Now, I'm not saying in any way that we should have no foundation. I'm not saying in any way that what we believe in doesn't matter. God forbid that I say anything like that to you, church. But what I am saying is this, okay? God is calling us, when you look at the Bible, to live a lifestyle of other-centeredness, right? Okay, the very unexpected, the very least, were the ones that came to worship the Messiah. It wasn't the everyday churchgoers. It wasn't the Pharisees that were in the temple following the laws, right? It was to the people who were outside of that, who were open to God, tugging on their heartstring. And I want you to imagine this with me. These very people who were open to God and that tugging that they felt on their heartstrings went and shared of what they experienced. But can you imagine how many people would have shut them down for that? How many people would have looked at them for basis of their occupation or their beliefs or who they were as people and looked to them as if they were crazy? Well, that can't be the Messiah. It's just a baby, right? It's supposed to be a king. It's supposed to be this political ruler that comes and overthrows Roman occupation, right? Like this is the ideal that the Jewish people thought of when they thought of a Messiah. You see, this is the takeaway for today, okay? We as Christians should learn to become more other-centered because we don't know who God is working through and working on. You see, God can work through anyone and anybody. We always say this all the time as a church. We, we look to ourselves and say, like, God can work on a sinner like me, but then we never apply that to anyone else, right? But we should. We need to. Okay? It would be so foolish for us to get in the way of God's work Right? If we shut down people that don't look like us, that don't act like us, that are not us. right? Not only should we love people in our world as God commands, but we need to begin seeing this bigger picture of God moving and working in the lives of people that may not look like us, that may not think like us, that may not work like us. Look at 1 Corinthians um, verse 27 to 29. It says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast 
before him. You see, church, I think Paul had a very powerful message when he shared that God chooses these things that we would least expect, right? The weak things, the foolish things, right? The things that are not. To shame our conception of what is strong. To shame our conception of what is wise, right? How many times do we find ourselves as a church saying, we have the Advent truth, right? We have the truth. And we shove this down people's throat. And there's this arrogance that comes and, 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 and dictates everything that we do. But maybe God is choosing things that are, are unconventional to us. Maybe God is choosing things that are weak, that are foolish in our eyes. But that's what humbles us. That's what brings us down to earth and pulls us or pulls our heads out of the ground like ostriches, right? Like, like maybe there is something here that God is trying to say. You see, church, this season when we think of others and it's a time where we, we kind of look to other people, take care of other needs, and we are more giving and more loving and we are more cheerful and joyful and we share that with people. Church, I pray that we can take this kind of mentality, this other-centered living, and not make it just something that happens during the holiday season, but make this a lifestyle in which Jesus lived that we can live as well. To be open to those that we may least expect because God may be working through those very people. Maybe God has been revealing something through the people that we least expect. And how foolish would it be if we were to get in the way of God's work in people? And maybe as we do so, as we focus more and reprioritize our, our kind of self, our own community kind of thinking to thinking of the other, maybe we can begin to understand. And maybe we can really truly grasp and practice what God's gospel message is really all about. Church, as we journey through this series of reprioritizing our priorities, right? to re-examine and reflect on the things that we consider as important to us. This holiday season, uh, I want you to focus in on this ideal of thinking of the other, right? To not think about myself now, right? Not saying that that's not important, but think of the other and see what God may be working through the lives of others and in turn use that as a way for us to see how God is revealing himself to this world. Church, let's pray.